It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So welcome to Macklin's Take, and this week, well, we have, we have gone up in the world because we're in a palatial boardroom, conference room at Wonderman, just by Mornington Crescent, which is a, a global media outfit. It's a far cry from Mrs. Macklin's front room, which is where we did the very first Macklin's Take. Not that there's anything wrong with Mrs. Macklin's front room, I, I hasten to add, it's very, very nice indeed, but this is something else altogether. And the reason we're here is because we've always been keen, right from the very start, to talk to one of the British Boxing Board of Control A-star referees and judges. And after a little bit of negotiation with, with Robert Smith, he's entrusted this interview to us, and we're assured that this is a, this is a world first, that this is the first time that, that one of these esteemed gentlemen has been allowed on a podcast like this. Uh, and I'm delighted to say joining us is Marcus McDonnell. Marcus, great to have you on, and, and thanks for agreeing to this. Um, me and you have talked boxing at ringside and, and on the phone a couple of times. You took me down to the referees seminar a couple of years ago too, uh, on numerous occasions. Uh, and it's something that I find endlessly fascinating, the role of the referee and the role of the judge. And myself and Matt, both of us do. So just um, take it away. I mean, the, the phrase would be, oh, who would be a referee? <laughs> well, well, you. Well, me, yeah. I was never intended to be a referee. Um, well, Thanks for coming. Thanks, Matt, for coming. Thanks, Andy, for coming to, to my building, and uh, hopefully we're looking after you. Um, I never intended to be a referee. Uh, not a lot of people know that um, my brother is Jim McDonnell, um, and a lot of people don't know I've been a referee for 31 years, so I've been around a long, long time. Um, and how I, I got into refereeing, I used to play football for Dulwich Hamlet, and I broke my leg playing football, but I used to follow Jimmy all the time, and I used to score fights. And when I was at home with a broken leg, because I was a carpenter at the time, uh, my brother used to take me down the lawless gym. So down the lawless gym at the time was Frank Bruno, Gary Mason, Mark Kayla, Charlie Magri. So I got to know all them boys and Horace Notice. And um, I used to go to the shows as well, which were mainly in them days was the Mickey Duff shows, the, the Albert Halls and the Wembleys. And I was sitting there one night watching this fight, and I said, this kid wins the last round, it'd be a draw. Oh, what do you know? Blah, 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 blah. Kid won the last round. Dave Paris was a referee, and he made it a draw. I think it's the only draw Dave's ever made, as it goes. So um, I made my scorecard a draw, and compared with Dave's. And there was an old fella there called Archie Kessler, 
who used to belong to the Mickey Duff camp, he says, you ever thought we'd come to referee? They're looking for young referees. So I liked my boxing anyway, and while I was at home, I broke my leg, nothing to do. I wrote a letter off to the Boxing Board of Control. I was invited down for an interview, and I went down on my crutches down to their old building, which was at London Bridge. And I went down there, and uh, at the time, you had all the senior referees at the time was Harry Gibbs, Sid Nathan, John Coyle, Paul Thomas, uh, Richie Davis, Dave Paris, all, all them boys, and Mike Jacobs. They were all there. So I walks in, and Harry Gibbs come out, and he goes, well, you wouldn't be no bloody good, would you, on crutches, like that, and laughed and that. So I went in, and they interviewed me, and they said, uh, yeah, we'll take you on as a referee. So they, they, they took me on as a referee. And um, since then, in the 31 years, it took me uh, it took me 14 years to, to grade up from a B referee up to a star grade. And I've been a star grade referee now for like over 15, almost 20 years uh, doing it. Uh, and I've travelled all over the world with it uh, and everything. And I went through the process. To go through the process of a referee is the hardest thing than any other sport. And, and basically... You apply like I did, and then you go up for an interview. And if they think you're good enough, they will then send you out scoring contests at shows at your own expense. If you really want to do it, you will pay to go to shows. We'll, we'll give you the ticket to get in, but you'll sit ringside and, and you'll score fights. Now, you may do this for two years, um, and we compare how you scored against the, the um, referee. If you're pretty good, if you're like 85%, 90% in line with the referee, we would then call you up uh, to have a meeting at the referees panel. And the referees panel is down in Cardiff now. And you'll go down there, and this is the hardest interview you'll ever have. You'll go into that room where the referees panel sit, where I sit on, and all the area reps. There's about 20 people. The chairman of the board's there, general secretary's there. And we sit there, and we've given you a referees book, this blue book, which we want you to learn from cover to cover. So when you come in there, you'll sit down at the end of the room, and... If you're cocky, and we've had some cocky people think they know it all, they come in, like one guy come in, so took your jacket off. Didn't ask, just, we always say, Chairman, do you mind if we take our jackets off? He just set his jacket off. So what happens is, we go around the room, and we always say, like, if it's me, I say, hello, I'm Mark Smith, all Southern Area, referee. Uh, what would you do if you're refereeing and the overhead lights went out? And then you've got to tell me exactly what you do. Stop boxing, time out, blah, 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 blah. What would you do if both boxers hit each other at the same time and they both went down? How would you handle it? So we go through and go right round the room. You go around 20 times, you know, and you are sweating. And if you're cocky, we'll go around again. You know, so we, it's a really, really hard grilling. And a lot of people fail at that stage. If you haven't failed at the stage of the scoring and you go on, you get to the stage. And then if you pass that, then we will take you on. A, we've just started doing it in the southern area, a trial period, which is we take you down to the Peacock Gym. The last time I'd done it, there were six referees that they wanted to put through for things. So I go down to the, the Peacock gym, and I have two boxers, and we do scenarios. Uh, but before that, I give them a 20-page, a 20-question exam. Uh, example, one of the questions is, um, if a boxer falls out of the ring, what is the time limit for them to get back into the ring? And it's 20 seconds, unaided. And then, you, then I'll give it a bit more. I say, what would you do if the corner helped him back in? And obviously, it's a disqualification. You know, what would you do if the crowd helped him back in? Now, that's a judgment call. You can't disqualify the boxers because the crowd have helped him back in. So we do it. So they get through all that. We then go into the gym. And what I do to the boxers, I'll do some scenarios. Like one that I always do is, like, we'd have a box at a Southport and Orthodox. Uh, and in my opinion, there's only the open side you can be. Around the other side, nothing's happening because he's punching his right hand. He's punching, so all the action's around here. And I keep saying to the box, keep turning so the referee's on the wrong side. So I want to watch the referee getting around to the open side and do it. And we do loads. Of, and then one will be a low blow. Uh, you haven't been given a low blow, but just 
fake it and, and see if the referee falls for it. So we do that. Now, if they get through them, then we will say, right, okay, we will then uh, give you a, um, a trialist license where you are the referee in the ring. Again, you're paying for this all at your own expense, where you go in the ring, dress as a referee, you won't have the boxing border control badge on, but you'll be in the ring, but we'll have a scoring referee outside. And we see how you work under pressure, scoring a fight while there's a referee scoring outside. Now, if you foul that, then you're out. So there's loads of obstacles before you get. Then if you do get through all that, we then call you up in front of the board again at Cardiff, and we will give you a B licence. And the B licence means that you are now a referee, we will now pay you. You, you be in the ring working as referee, but you do fights up to eight rounds only, and uh, you are you score it, and uh, your decision counts. Uh, so it's quite a hard process. And then from there, going forward, it is you you have to show us in three years that you can make it from a B referee up to an A referee, and then from an A you go to a star. And as I said, it took me sort of twelve to fifteen years to get up there. So it's a quite a long process, and some of them don't make it. You know, you get to an A referee, it doesn't mean you're going to be a star. I mean, I, I brought a thing in with a boxing border control called the buddy scheme, where I will take referees under my wing and I will help them. They can phone me and I'll help them and try and get them upgraded. One did make it uh, under the buddy scheme up to a star. There's no one who didn't. And, you know, they get upset and go on social media and start saying things and get their friends to... to when, you know, it's like everyone joins the, the police force. Not everyone makes it to a sergeant. doesn't mean they're a bad policeman. It's, it's, it's like that. It's a really... It is a hard, a hard way. There's only nine star referees at the moment, uh, you know, and we've all done years and years of it. And, and there's been some good referees who've never made it, but that's how, how the process goes. Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in hell, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desire and Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! Well, I can imagine how, how taxing that is because I think one of the things that kind of struck me, I've not seen the referees booklet, but I do have a rules and regulations booklet because um, I'm a license holder as an MC. And, and the reason I renew my MC's license, and this will sound a bit weird, is is not because I do any MC work, is because I want to get invited to the council meetings and I want that booklet because it doesn't really change much. But what's interesting about it is that the section of it relating to what happens in the ring is really short. It's just a list of what you can't do, a list of scenarios such as clash of heads in the first four rounds, depending on the duration of the fight, will go to the cards, those kinds of things. But what there isn't, and people, I think, assume that there is, is a real painting by numbers of detail of if this happens, then you must do that. There's none of that. You just you just read these phrases, referee is a sole arbiter at the discretion of the referee, and that basically means that you use your experience and you make a decision. So when you've got no experience, being able to tell you what you should do when the overhead lights go out is, is a difficult thing. I, I had a, a, a fine example of that. Terry Flanagan, 
when he won his WBO world title fight. I was a referee for that in Manchester in front of 20,000 people. And he fought uh, Sabila. Uh, oh, Jose Sabida, yeah. yeah the, the who injury. was supposed to be the new um, Oscar De La Hoy come over and he was gonna, what he was going to do to Terry and all this sort of thing. So Terry came out first round and, and sort of beat him up a little bit, really, and went back. And in the second round, there was a clash, accidental clash, and Sabila's shoulder come out. And um, he, he went back. And I, in, in between the second and third round, I could, I could hear him screaming. They were trying to push the shoulder back in. And I'm looking, and the bell went to start the third round. Terry come out, and I said, go over there, time out. Went over to the corner. What's going on? Oh, it, you know, he can't continue. His shoulder's coming out. He's coming. And the supervisor got in from the WBO and said, OK, it's a no contest. I went, no, no, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And Terry said, what's going on, Marcus? I said, Terry, just stay there. I said, hang on a minute. I says. That was accidental. Terry never touched him. That was self-inflicted. I says, as far as I'm concerned, Terry is, is, is the winner. He went, no, no, no. I said, hang on. Tomorrow is the Wimbledon final. And you've got Djokovic v um, Nadal. I says, Nadal wins the first set 6-1. Second set, he falls out, breaks his ankle. What happens? And he went, oh, yeah, I suppose, yeah, I suppose you're right. I said, so as far as I'm concerned, there was no foul committed. Terry, he got, and we haven't got beyond four rounds. And, and he went, oh. And he thought about it, thought about it, and eventually... Terry become champion and it went on so again was I right or wrong I made that call as far as I'm concerned Terry Flanagan had made no hadn't fouled him hadn't done anything wrong and he was made the champion of the world so what was what was a nerve-wracking moment for you then early on when you were sent out early when you got somebody observing you from from ringside I had a stick real, in your mind I had a real hard time because I was around with with, with with some of the most famous names out there like yeah yeah yeah, Harry Gibbs is in Sid Nathan's of the world. And when I started in the southern area, I was the only B referee. I was out three times a week. I was doing so much uh, refereeing. I was doing over 100, 100 a year. Uh, and there was people out there saying to me, oh, Marcus, you're really good. No, you, no, you, you should be upgraded. And every time I got get, get me knocked back, knocked back, knocked back. And it, it, does, it does deflate you, but, you know, I just carried on. If I make it, I make it. I don't, I don't. I kept kept going and going and going and a few of these guys started retiring and, and eventually I made it and it wasn't till I went on to, to the referees panel because you think it's an old boys thing and, 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 it, and it's not like that at all you know what, what people don't realise is with referees every single show I go to I do a report on every single, not, not the size, but all the referees, the A's and the B's, we do reports on them. And then reports are sent to the Boxing Border Control and they keep them. And then we meet in January and June and we go over every single referee. Now, if a referee's going to be made up, upgraded, their area would put them forward for upgrading. We would then sit there and talk about every single referee. We read, every, Robert reads out every single report and we read about it. And then we then, if we feel that someone's ready, we would then have a vote. Us plus the area reps. So there's 20 people vote on do we upgrade? And, then, and if they don't get upgraded, we say, no, you haven't been recommended. But even if we upgrade, say yes to someone, that's not the final thing. It then needs to go to the full board for the full board to make that final decision. So yes, the referees panel has influence on making people up and, 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 or degrading, bringing people down. So it is, it is a really good part of the board, the referees panel. And, uh, you know, there are nine of us, you know, and we've all, of the years, I mean, but, like, for example, last year we made up uh, Mike L- Mark Lyson and John Latham. Uh, before that, we made up Bob Williams. So we're not holding people back. If they're good enough, they're good enough. If there's 15 of us on there or 20, we don't care. If you're good enough, you'll make it. And if you're not, just enjoy your refereeing and just carry on with it. But don't give in. Just, just carry on with it. So that's, that's what it is. And as I said, it's all about experience. Unfortunately, the southern area and the central area at the moment, are really busy. They've got so many shows on. But the rest of the areas don't. Like in Wales, there's a really good referee down in Wales called Reese uh, Carter. 
but he's not getting the amount of shows that he, he, you know, he, he's getting. So he's not doing as much work. So it's very difficult for them sort of places to sort of get the experience to, to get the upgrades, you know. I think it's interesting to hear uh, Marcus talk there about how, um, I mean, there is scrutiny. There's quite a lot of scrutiny. There is uh, checks and, and, and balances in people making sure they're accountable for why they've made certain decisions. And like you said, you not only get upgraded, but you can get downgraded. Uh, probably more than I realise and certainly more than I'd imagine the casual viewer watching on television realises. Um, in terms of moving on into going into bigger fights and European title fights and world title fights then, what's kind of the, the next transition then and, and, and what's is there a fight where, you know, what was your first one where you thought, oh, I'm, I'm really up at another level here now? It's, it's funny, when, when you, like, you, you've boxed at high level, Matt, you know, when, when you go up and do the bigger fights, they're easier because they're experienced boxers and, and you haven't got all the holding as you do. But when you're just starting off and you're doing the four threes, the, the new kids and they're holding on for dear life, and that, that's where you, you learn your trade. So when you go into these bigger fights, apart from it's a bigger audience and you know, um, you're, you're, you're making these big decisions, I find the bigger fights easier. They, they don't bother me. I, I, I'm, I'm not the sort of person who, who, who gets worried or, or about... I mean, for example, I've done Chisora White just before Christmas. I mean, there was all this went, went on the way in and, and all that, and they hated each other, and this was the rematch from, from the first one, and I was a referee for that. So I went in there, and, and I was doing it, and Chisora, like, was... You know, White was holding and Chisora kept throwing in the, the low blow here and there. And I've got quite a funny story here. He, he was throwing in low blows and I kept warning him, warning him. And uh, eventually he threw one. So I stopped boxing. I took a point off him. Now there's 20,000 people there and they're all booing me. You know, they're all booing me like, and I, I don't care. So I get, gets on, fight continues. And then later on, um, but so when, when, he, when he threw the low blow in and then I, I put Dylan in the corner, I, I took the point. I went to Dylan and I went, now Dylan. Do not retaliate. Because some boxers will go back and say, right, you want something, give them back. Don't retaliate. I've took a point of him, don't retaliate. And he's gone to me, Dylan, thank God for that, Marcus. My balls are black and blue. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what he said. And then later on in the fight, uh, Chisora was bending up and he, he, he deliberately banged him with the elbow in the chin. And again, I took another point off him. And then people are saying, oh, because you took the points off, he, he was going for it and hence he got knocked out. But, you know, I'm there to make sure it's fair for, for, for both boxers, and, and I like to think I am very fair, and, and that, that, that's what I'm... But the funny story was this. On the way home on the train, I've got my boat off, I'm going home on the train, and there's these punters there, and they were going, oh, did you see that? That bloody referee tapping in points off. It made that Chisora had to go for it, and he like, that's why he got... Like, oh, what did you think, mate? I said, yeah, because who was that referee? I said, I don't know. I said, I think it was Howard Foster. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know... It, Interesting there to say that, I mean, Andy said it, there's not that much written. You know, a lot comes down to experience, judgment, uh, your discretion. Um, some fights are rough and tough. I know, for example, Victor Lachlan, he's refereed a good few more fights. And, you know, when I fought Jamie Moore, it was a rough and tough battle. Heads were going in, a couple were straying borderline. And he let it go. And, he, and, and, and in doing so, we were allowed to have a great fight. Yeah. Um, there are, there are instances where referees are just, you know, and you've got to be strong, but they're literally pulling people up at everything. They stop the flow of the fight and, and basically ruin what could have been a good fight. And it's a fine line, I'd imagine, where you've got to get that balance where you're sticking to the rules, you're enforcing the rules, you're protecting both as a referee, but you've got to have a bit of common sense and a bit of cup on and realise, listen, this, this, this is a rough, tough fight. Yeah. There's going to be, there is going to be an elbow and Eddie's going to go in. Not, as long as they're not... 
intentionally sticking the nut on him. Yeah. You know, heads are going to come together. I'd imagine there's an awful lot of that. There is a lot of that. I mean, one thing I do is when I'm in the changing room, um, I talk to him and you, you tell the rules. That's the, that's the bonus you get of being a star referee. You get to talk to the boxers before they get in the ring. When you're doing the undercard, you don't see them until they get in there. And I'll come in there and I'll talk to you, Matt, and I'll say, all right, Matt, uh, these are all... I want to talk to you about the four-round rule, accents of clash of heads, blah, 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 blah. And at the end of it, I've got my own little thing that I do what works for me. I go, Matt, throughout this fight, I'm going to call you Matt, and I'm going to call him Andy. Uh, if I start calling you Macklin, you're doing something wrong. You'll know what you're doing wrong. Just tidy it up and I'll call you Matt again. And funny, when you're in there and I'm going, Matt, keep your hands up, Matt. Keep your punches, Matt. Watch your head. And as soon as you say Macklin, oh, sorry, ref. And it's amazing how, how it works. And I do say to them, if, if I'm calling you Macklin three or four times, I'm going to take points off you. And when you're actually in there, I mean, the public don't hear half the things we say to them. We're getting close and whispering in your ear and saying things. And, and that's how you gain the respect from them. But unfortunately, for the young referees, you don't get that opportunity to talk to the boxers uh, beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm interesting because, I, I mean, it, it, you see, and even when I was young, I used to watch on the telly to see. You know, referees and the big fights in America, you'd be staying up till all hours and, you know, be pushing the hands down, stopping clinches. Like, Come on, lads, fight, fight out of there, break it, you know what I mean? But the funny thing is, with you talk about American referees, American referees can be done 50 fights and they're doing world title fights. You won't get near a world title fight being a British referee for four, over 400 fights. Our schooling is nothing like that. In America, you know, you've, you come from a boxing gym, you know someone, and that you become a referee, and your wife could become a judge. You know, that's how it works out. In the, since Robert's come into to the boxing board and control and the, the rules that he's changed. I mean, for example, he's brought in um, referees' medicals. We have to have a medical every single year to make sure that we are fit for refereeing. And there's been a few that failed a medical, and then you don't get your licence, and you have to go back, go get yourself fit and get your licence. Um, the other thing is we have to have blood tests done, age tests done every year, uh, and these are all things that Robert's brought in. The medical side of it now, like boxers have, have medicals before and after a fight, and not which you know, Matt, you, you've had to have, and the doping tests, all these things that have been brought in, uh, there's, there are now training courses for corner men, and, and, all that. and, and you know, boxing in the UK, we are sort of the leading, we are, we've got the best officials in the world. Now, Without a doubt, I mean, even in terms of, like you say, the, the, the drug testing and everything, it's random, blood, urine, um, you know, there was some very tragic circumstance over the years. Michael Watson, Gerald McClellan, the UK, the British Boxing Board of Control are the strictest, the safest, and the fairest, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, worldwide. Also, all our officials, I mean, our inspectors and, and our timekeepers, I mean, I, I referee abroad. Um, example, Italy. You go to Italy, you're the referee, um, you've got to go and see the bandages have been put on and then sign the bandages. You've got to take the gloves in and watch them put the gloves on and sign the gloves. Um, you're doing a fight. Uh, you're refereeing a fight. Boxer goes down. You look at the timekeeper. They're there with their arms folded. You know, and it's, so you take up your own count. There's no help whatsoever. You're out there on your own. In, in, in the UK with a timekeeper, I will say to the timekeeper, okay, you, you take the time up. If he goes down, stop, stop counting and I will take the count up because I don't want him going five and I'm going four. So, so I like them to stop. Some referees just like to go along with it. Um, our inspectors, we have some inspectors and they don't get paid for this. They're there. They may be in the changing room of the champion all night. They haven't seen a fight. They're in there all night watching the champion so nothing goes on. And these, these are these, these men and women around the country because the love of boxing, that, that's what we do. We all, we're all in there to do an honest job. You know, I know people say, oh, how did you score that? But we honestly go in there, hand and heart. We're, we're there to just do a job, not, not to upset anybody or, 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 or favouritism. We're there just to an honest job. I think people don't realise sometimes how many people who perform those kinds of roles, as you say, do it voluntarily because 
every now and again I'll see suggestions for how things could be improved and people will always have suggestions and one I saw which was a good idea was that judges shouldn't actually be ringside they should be watching it on TV in a room sealed off from everybody else not allowed to speak to each other no sound watching it on a monitor and there should be five of them rather than three and I just thought in theory you should be ringside but in theory that's not a bad idea but who's going to pay for all of that if you're going to have five judges at every fight and people say often well why don't we have judges for four rounders and six rounders and eight rounders it's money comes into into absolutely everything and you've got a lot of people who are giving up their time uh, with a high level of expertise for nothing Exactly. I mean, also what people don't realize, we are the only country in the world where the referee, apart from championship fights, scores the fight. Everywhere else around the world, there are judges, but we are the ones. That's why our scoring is so, so hard. You know, the other thing is, talking about us being away from ringside, I had a situation the other night when I was up in Glasgow with Vic DeLochran. Vic was the referee, I was one of the judges. There was a cut, and Vic just let me in. Do you see it, Marcus? I said, yeah, it was Cash Now, he was obviously on the blind side. So we work as a team. You know, so if I haven't seen something, I will ask my judges, you know, did you see it? And they go, oh, I said, yeah, it was a cut, Vic, accident, cash feds, cut. Blah, blah. Similar so, to our align- a reference alliance. Yeah, football. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so we work together as a team. Hey, everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. In terms of the experience you mentioned there, that, that is so true because I do the, the stats and the research for Sky uh, as well as commentate and people wouldn't necessarily know that. So I look into all sorts of things, particularly around big Joshua fights. I'll, I'll get into it in even more depth than I normally do. And I remember looking at Joshua Parker, Giuseppe Quartaroni was the, the referee for that one. I looked through his record and he was under 100 fights at that point. I think it was his 92nd bout. It was his seventh world title fight. His very first fight as a referee was a European title fight. His first three fights were European title fights. Steve Gray, who officiated, who refereed uh, Joshua Povetkin a few months later at Wembley, um, I stuck with this and counted all the way through. It took a long time. I think he'd done over 700 fights before he had his first exactly. fight as a, a first world title fight. And that, you know, there's a reason why, all respect to, to uh, Senior Quarteroni, there's a reason why Steve Gray is a better referee than him. Hmm. The, 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 there's other things like, um, for example, in America. Um, you can be born in New York, but you can't referee in Vegas because they have, all the different states have their own boxing commission. We have the one commission. Uh, so uh, that's one of our, our, our things. We want to referee in the states, but they won't let us referee in the states. You know, uh, they won't even let their own people referee in the states. So, you know, we'd all love to referee in Vegas or Madison Square Gardens. It has been done in the past, but you know, it's very rare. So we're the same. We won't let them come here. We'll let them come over. So Robert uh, and the balls, what they like to do, when there's a, when there's a world title fight on, uh, he tries to appoint a referee and a judge for that fight. You know, obviously, if it's, if it's a British, British word. And 90% of the time, we get our way. We'd love the Americans to come over and referee here, but let us go to you. If you let us go over there, you know, we're, so it's, it, but like I said, in their own country, they won't let someone in Vegas referee in New York or vice versa. So it's, it's, it's stupid, really. Another thing I, I've always been curious about, I read an interview with Jack Reese in Boxing News last week. I don't, I don't know if you picked it up, and it was really interesting. I think Jack Reese is a really good ref, and he was saying that 
he'll get told a few days out, maybe a couple of weeks actually, as to what what fight he'll get if it's a, if it's a big fight on the card, and that he admitted he would do he would do some some research. They're often fighters he knows, but he might watch their last couple of fights, see what kinds of things they they get up to, and it just kind of occurred to me that sounds like the right thing to do, but is it? Because I remember reading Harry Gibbs's book, and he put it really well. Harry Gibbs, a famous old referee who was, who was a mentor to Marcus, and he described it as follows, is that when you referee a fight, you see two differently coloured pairs of shorts. You don't see records, you don't see reputations, you don't see bookmakers' odds, you don't see anything. Just fighter A and fighter B. Now, if you've gone away and done a load of research, then it's not a blank canvas, is it? I understand why you would do it, but do you do it? Should you do it? I don't do it. I would never do it. reason being is... Your influence, your influence in yourself. If, if a guy is a guy that throws loads of low blows, and that you can be watching for that and, and things like that. I don't. As Harry said, once a champion gets in there, there is no champion. The belt is vacant. We take it off you and we give it to, to the ringside. That You are fighting the game for your belt. They say that um, oh, the champion's just got to defend it. No, you've got to win it. You've both got to win it. So I go in there. I don't do any homework on anyone. And like, for example, um, there's a way boxers move. They'll be clockwise or anti-clockwise, depending on who they're fighting. So it takes that first round to work out so that you're never running around chasing them. They're coming to you all the time. So, you know, you suss it out and, and you watch them. And, and I like to... I'm not one of these ones that will stand. I, I move around quite a lot. I go from side to side and, and try to watch because, you know, they may try and do something on me. So because I'm doing all that, they're, they're wary of I'm, I'm there all the time, so they won't try 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 anything. But, no, I, I don't think doing homework is, is, is a good idea because you could be influenced, you know, um, oh, this guy or this guy's you – know, he cuts, watches cuts and all that. When they go into the changing room oh. – they're going to kill me for this. When I go and change them, you'll always get the, 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 the cornerman and say, oh, ref, can I have a word? Yeah, ref, watch his head. He's, 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 no, yeah, don't worry, I'll talk to him about it. I don't go and talk to him about it. You know, if he does anything in there, I will pull him up then. You know, uh, but, you know, they all try and get a little, a little um, sort of advantage. But at the end of the day, when I go in there, these two guys have worked. What I really hate is, uh, like, like, Matt has trained, like, I don't know, two months, three months away for, for a championship. So the other guy. So be honest, give them every single chance. That's why the, the standing eight count, for example, you know, people say, oh, we give them a long count. When, when I get in there, I've got the welfare of both boxers. I don't care it's for the world title or whatever. I'm looking after Matt and I'm looking after Andy. I'm looking after you guys. So when you're in there, if you go down uh, and you get up and I'll go six, seven, and you're up at eight and then I walk towards you and, and you may have a little wobble, I'll go, walk towards me again, you know, give you a chance. You may never get another world title fight. Give them a chance. So it may have went 12, 10, 11, 12, 12 seconds, but I've got to make sure in my mind that you are okay. You know, I look in your eyes, I'm, I'm, I'm making sure you're okay before I let you go on. And if you was, if you was getting hurt, Andy, uh, I'd be going to your corner and saying, um, Andy, we okay over here? Be, I'm, I'm giving them a hint that I'm, I'm concerned. You may have seen me, Andy, when you come out. I'll go to the box. You're all right, hands up. I'm, I'm looking at you. I'm, I'm concerned for you. I'm telling the corner. I'm giving signals. You know, I'm watching you. So if I do stop it, I've given you enough warnings. So that's it. I'm, it's the welfare of the boxers. You're in there to look at. We, we, don't, we don't care about if it's live on TV or who it is. We are there, all of us, for the welfare of the boxers. Make sure you guys, you may get the ump of us or whatever, but that's the only reason, you know, there. So make sure that it's fair play and, and we're there to look after you guys. Well, that's absolutely key, isn't it, Matt? And I think referees have to be experts in body language too because often they'll look at a fighter, someone like you, for example, and if the referee would ask you, are you okay to continue? You will say yes, 
But sometimes yes means no. Yeah. And the referee needs to know when yes means no yeah, exactly. and when to stop a fight if the corner aren't going to do it. Yeah, I mean, every fighter's got his pride and, and, and an awful lot of it to be doing mm. what he's doing and to be digging in and staying in there. And, and sometimes we see, we see fighters that don't want to quit, but really they wouldn't be that bothered if it was stopped. They've, they've had enough, they're done. You know, they, they haven't got any more to give, no. but they're never going to quit because it goes against everything that they are. But then that that's why, are. a but few weeks what, ago, um, what's your name, Jamie with Tommy, um, Jamie Moore with Tommy, you know, he pulled him out because he knew Tommy was upset, you know, because, he, he, you know, it's a chance to fight for, for, for what he was fighting for. But you've got to respect Jamie for what he'd done there. That was a brilliant call. By him. And, and I wish more corners were like and that. And we liked it because we, we, we've talked about this quite a lot and we've talked about it with Dave Caldwell and it, it's something that I speak about a lot about, uh, you know, a compassionate corner. The last thing a brave fighter needs is a brave corner. Yeah. You know, and, and, and ultimately the Chief Second's primary job is to look after his fighter. Exactly. And he should, he will know his fighter or should know his fighter. And he'll know if, he, if he's got a bit more in, he's got a punch his chances, he's a fight in the balance. You know, he, that's a judgment call. And I think you always got to wear on the side of caution, Eddie Futch, around to go. And he pulls Joe Frazier out. You know, what, what, I mean, what a man, what a, what a call. What, you know, and, he, and Joe Frazier had the ump with him, yeah. but it was the right decision. Yeah. He thought, this has been a brutal fight. And, you know, Another round, he, you know, maybe he would have killed him or he got beat, mm. but he lives he lives on. And um, I do think that sometimes we'll say that we'll see fights. And me and Andy will be commentating on them and I'll be thinking, I'd like to see the corner pull him out now. Yet at the same time, at no, no point do I feel that the referee should stop that fight because the referee hasn't been given any opportunity to stop the fight. He has, he's not out on his feet. It's not one side. You know, you know, but this is a decision where the cornerman should should show compassion and pull his fighter out of there where it's 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 a different it's a different role, I mean, for the referee. He's 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 got to enforce the rules. And if, if someone's badly hurt and he's given the body language, that's great. But I don't think I think it's the in terms of compassion, it's it's the cornerman's responsibility, not so much the referees. I mean, we I I've done it before. I've 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 just stopped a fight in the middle of a fight because um it was non-competitive anymore. You know the boxer was getting beaten. Um, I I've got the scorecard. I know he's lost eight rounds out of eight. He's never gonna. So sometimes I'm, I'll just step in and say, right, that'll do. And, and whoa, 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 you know, because it's non-competitive. And and at no point the guy can take sort of uh, punches for no reason. I saw one of those a couple of weeks ago, Joseph Parker against Alex Leopai, and Leopai's really, really tough, and Parker couldn't get rid of him, and he was just taking round after round of just sustained head trauma, basically. And in his corner, obviously, weren't going to stop it. And the referee, Ricky Gonzalez, the first time that Parker stepped on him, because he kept stepping on throwing and then stepping off, he was, he was boxing towards us from his corner, they wanted some rounds. But as soon as he stepped in and really put his hands together for a sustained burst, the referee, Ricky Gonzalez, he was obviously he was waiting for him to do it. And as soon as he did it, he jumped in and stopped the fight. He was just waiting for an excuse to do it because he knew the corner weren't going to do it. And, and that, that just happens sometimes. Mm. So let's move on to scoring a fight. <laughs> now then, this is a good Most one. controversial. Dis, uh, absolutely, absolutely. But a really, really interesting subject. You're the expert. You're the professional. Take us through it. You're looking at a 12-round championship fight. What are you looking for? What are the criteria, the defining criteria that you're looking for as to who wins a round and what kind of order do you rank them? If one's equal, number one's equal, then what do you go to after that? And Just, just take us through the thought process. It's, it's funny. What a lot of people don't realise is um, they watch you guys commentating um, on Sky or BT and... 
do, doing what you're doing and your scorecard is showing up on the screen and everyone believes your scorecard, uh, which is fine. But then when I look at your scorecards, a lot of your scorecards, you've got even rounds thrown in. When we work for the, the world organisations like the IBF and WBO that I work for and they don't like you scoring even rounds. They want you to find a winner out of every round. So that is our mentality when we go in there. We're looking to find a winner of every round. Now, you try doing that and you get rid of your scorecards. You may see your scores are a lot different than, than, than what the judges have scored. Yes, there are some stupid uh, decisions out there, but most of the time, you know, we sit there. I look at it. I, I, I commentate in my head. Um, I put forward to the Boxing Board of Control or the referees panel a three-minute scorecard and it got thrown away. And what I mean by that is you put three little boxes over Clark, you put three little boxes over Mackland. And the first minute, I'm like, Clark's won that, so 1-0, 2-0, and then 2-1. And then I look back, I'm like, Clark's won that round. Because people are only human, for example. <laughs> he's only put his hand up as if he's won the fight, Clarky. So the... Um, People only human, like Chris Eubanks when he was fighting. He was the master that walking around for two minutes, posing, doing nothing. And then you hear Ronnie bang the cameras, let's go to work, Chris. And he'd go to work and, and then win the round, you know. And people only human, and they only can remember what they said. That's why I believe in a three-minute scorecard, because a boxer comes strong at the end of a fight, and the judge goes, oh, right, he, he's won that. Where a lot of the time, when there are decisions, I'm on the, the split. I'm, I'm the single one, because I'm doing my three-minute scorecard, uh, we put it forward to the, the referees panel. We all spoke about it. it said, no, it'd be silly. We'd have to sit there with clocks and all that sort of thing. So we agreed. We, we, it, it was thrown out. But what do we do? It's been, we've had it for years. I mean, it's easy now. When I first started, it was half points. You had to do a half point, and you're adding up half points as you were going along. Now with the full point system, it's completely different. We go to these seminars, and this, this is a bit scary. Go to these seminars, like for the IBF or whatever, went to Italy. And what they tend to do, they'll, they'll, they'll show a round, and they'll get you to score it. And you've got all these world-class judges there. And there was a fight that we see, and there was two knockdowns. Both boxers knocked each other down twice. And when the scorecards come in, we were given it 10-9 uh, for the winning boxer. Because both knockdowns counter our list. Ten point must. Yeah. There were some judges there from the Philippines scored the fight 7-7. And the guy stood up and says, um, you do realise it's called a 10-must system. Now, these guys have been doing world title fights around the world and didn't know how to score. You know, that, that, is, that is scary. That is scary. But in the UK, um, like I said, we, you know, we're, we're used to scoring and, and, and we sit there and, and score. Like, example, me, me and you, Andy, were scoring a fight, uh, Matt v. Jamie Moore. You give Matt all the even rounds... And I give Matt all the odd rounds. At the end of the score, at uh, the end of the fight, it's 114, 114. And they go, oh, Marcus and, and Andy are brilliant. Oh, look at their scorecards, bang on. We are 12 rounds apart. Until you see that scorecard, you don't know. You need to see, the, wherever you hear the, the scorecard, until you sit down and see the scorecard, you can't tell. So people think, oh, we're great, but we're 12 rounds apart. You know, that's why eight rounds can be... You know, a lot of fights, eight rounds, you, you, you know, can be pretty, pretty close. In the last four rounds, someone may nix one or nix three of them or whatever. And that's how the, the scores. Most fights are, are, are won in the last four rounds, as they call the championship rounds. And, and that, that's where it is. But before you can comment on a scorecard, you actually need to sit down and analyse the scorecard, which you don't get the opportunities to do. So how do you win a round? I know you view it as 12 individual three-minute fights yeah. and you must find a winner in each one. So how, how do you... I'm fighting Matt Macklin, God forbid... 
how do I? I'm how counting do you, how, you out. <laughs> how do you? I'd, I'd, I'd have been out there already. I'd have turned around. I never would have walked up the steps. So for me to win a round, what what have I got to do? It's it's all down down to um, aggression, defence. So um, who who's doing all the aggression? Uh, who's we don't count punches, you know. So for example, an example of the scoring at the moment. Uh, you and Matt are fighting. He he beats you up in a round. Beats you up. Scores it ten nine. The next round you just nick it off him. It's Touch that nick of him. You get a 10-9. Is that right? It's not right, is it? The scoring should be like, he's beat you up in a round. I know we can give a 10-8 round, but maybe we should be looking at giving more 10-8s. And that's what I absolutely, I totally agree with that. Yeah. The, the, the but then scoring, can you in the public then? But, well, 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 there was no knockdowns. Why, why, why did they give that? But the scoring in, in IEBA boxing, and IEBA have done a lot of things which are questionable, but one good thing they did do was they brought in the 10-point must, and it's much more open to interpretation. So... You could score a standing eight count and not get the round 10-8 with them. doesn't matter. You could score a knockdown and not get it 10-8. You could score no knockdowns and get it 10-7. It's all about interpreting mm. dominance. Uh, and that's what, that's what it's about, isn't it? Because it, as you say, the counting punches, punch stats don't mean anything. Because they don't, I know they divide them into power punches and normal punches, if you like. But that's far, and you can't really do any more than that. But it's far too simplistic, isn't it, Matt? Because punches land with varying degrees of power and you have to just kind of matriculate that somehow as to who has landed the greater tonnage in that round. Energy bars on a computer game is a, an analogy I've heard used, which I think is I think it's a pretty good one, really. Yeah, I mean, I've never heard that analogy, but I quite like it. Because it, it is, it's like who's doing more damage, mm. you know? And sometimes a guy might throw a, you know, they call it shoe shining or flurries of punches and he might throw eight shots. And sometimes, you know, if someone's particularly, you know, defensive. Sometimes you've got to put punches in bunches to land and you know that you're throwing six and you're probably landing three, but you're getting through. Or you might have a guy who's very kind of economical with his shots, but he lands, you know, solid hard shots. And it's like, that's where sometimes it's a judgment call. Not sometimes, nearly all the time. Quite often it's a judgment call. What do you prefer? Do you like the work rate, the volume? Mm. Or do you prefer the the, the cleaner work? And it's, I always find you know, that who would I have rather been at the end of that round, you know, or who would I have rather been in within that round? And, you know, and, and I do, sometimes I, I do like the work, right? And other times it'll have been the cleaner worker and it, it's just, it's, it's a judgment call. That's, that's why we love boxing because it's so, not controversial, but, you know, everyone has a different opinion. It's so subjective, isn't it? It, it is, it is. It, 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 it just is, yeah. I mean, one of the worst things, as a judge, the worst seat in the house is sitting in front of you two guys or Carl Frotch or, or someone else. You're sitting there and we can hear you commentating and you'll go, oh, so-and-so's won this round. You think, what the hell are they watching? Like, no, so, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying it influences you, but you're, you're there. I'm sure it makes you question yourself, yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah, it? You, you know, you do look at yourself twice, you think, what? Watching, you know, and then, and then when I've done my scorecard and I know that I'm different here, I thought, oh, no, I'm going to get slaughtered here. But you can't let that influence you. You've just got to do it as you see it. Yeah, I mean, I remember years ago I was in, a, we did a fight in, well, it was Carl Frutch against Andre Ward and I was, uh, I, you know, there was Ian Dark and Jim Watt there. I was initially going to be part of the commentary team, but they didn't want to, you know, disrupt the kind of momentum, that the relationship that Ian Dark and Jim Watt had. So I was just sat back and, and I was scoring it myself and next to me, was Paulie Malanagi and Mike Costello. And when they read out the 115, 113 scorecard, I remember thinking, what? I think I gave like Frotch a couple of rounds. And it was, you know, and that was, even at that, it was like, I thought it had been a completely dominant performance from Andre Ward. And I remember looking to 
uh, Mike Costello and Pauline saying, hey, how did you have that? And they had, they had exactly me. They'd, they'd given it one round to Frutch. And uh, Mike just said, look, mate, you, you've been here. You've done it. You've boxed. You know the game. Trust yourself because you'll always be getting swayed left and right otherwise. And I think, you know, like you said there, you, you, you're hearing Carl Frutch, you're hearing a voice. But, but you, you, you're, you're reffing fights and you're judging cards three, four times a week, every single week for how long. So I think you do have to just have, have faith in yourself and trust your own uh, ability to, to read the fight. One thing that's, that's out there is the IBF. When I work for the IBF, you're given 13 cards. So when you do your scorecard for the first round and the referee takes it, on the back of the second card, you are writing why you gave that first round to whoever you gave it to. So when the 12 rounds have gone, uh, you give the 12th card and you, you write the 13th card uh, why you gave that, that round to them. So they got a record of going back about, um, you know, how you got your scores. So I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. It's a lot of work, but um, yeah. that's what we I do. mean, it is interesting. I suppose, and like you say, I know that boxing is subjective and you're calling fights and you're commentating on a fight and you're keeping a card and it's, you know, some rounds are close. You know, you mentioned the Cheeseman Conway that was, you know, one had it judged one way, the one went for Cheeseman. There was a drawn card as well. The fight was given a draw. Um, then there are some cards which you just can't get your head around. For example, Golovkin Canelo, the first fight. You know, I was at the fight. I, th- I had Golovkin clearly winning a com- very competitive, good, hard fought fight, but I thought there was only one winner. Um, the drawn card, yeah, maybe. But the card that was kind of fairly lopsided in favour of Canelo, I just couldn't see it at all. Um, do you ever look at, do you ever get some, you must get some fights and even probably colleagues who you respect their opinion where you think, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know how we got that. Not really. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't comment about other, other scorecards. It, it, it's not fair. They've gone in there to try and give an honest decision. Um, However, they see it, we, we may disagree, but I, we would never comment about it. Or, 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 you know, when we go back to the hotel, we don't say, "Oh, how did you get that?" Whatever, you know, you may have a, a, in your mind if they're different to my scorecard. As far as I'm concerned, I was right. Uh, but no, we don't really ever comment about that. I mean, yeah, you, you see it, and, and the press and are, are on it, but we don't comment about it. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend, Rip, and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the One Stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan, New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. So, some of your colleagues need to get into this boardroom, Marcus. So, we're going to attempt the first, a first in Macklin's take. We're going to take this down the stairs, and we're going to take it live down the stairs. So, if you just take care of your mic cables, we can move downstairs. And we can continue this, and there's no need to interrupt it. Okay. And, and the reason we're doing it like this is because I may as well come clean. I'm not the best at editing and splicing things together. So this is really for my benefit that, um, that we just kind of do this on the hop. But um, shame to be moved out of our place or surroundings, but there no you go. No problem. We'll find somewhere else. So, Marcus, there was one thing that I wanted to... This is going to look strange, isn't it, walking through the building like this, but people look at me strangely all the time. 
Uh, one thing I was going to ask you about is some of the things that the WBC have looked to try and bring in to try and make judges' lives easier. One was was wearing kind of ear defenders. Another was open scoring. Now, I'm not really a fan of open scoring. And the reason is, is because I think it can influence judges. If you get to eight rounds, me and Matt have got it one way. We're very similar. You've got it the other way. That might then make you think that you've got it wrong. Um. I, I don't agree with the open scoring uh, because that could cause cause problems with the crowd and that they see things and um, I don't I don't believe in that. I mean the ear defenders, maybe that 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 won't be a bad idea. But um, again, um, it's they all come up with the, these ideas and and they, they they never really follow through with them. I mean WSB, WBC are always coming up with different scenarios to try and improve things. Maybe they want to look at vetting the judges better, really, than them looking at all these things. I mean, there's some brilliant judges out there. The, the America got some great judges. We got great judges. Uh, some of the smaller countries haven't, you know. And uh, I know they all want they all want to do well title fights and judges. But it, I think they need to look at the, the, the schooling of the training, maybe more of judges that than looking at these ideas of having open scoring. You, you, you put in you putting the judges under pressure if you if like if you two are going one and I'm going the other way. Then oh, well, and the, you know the crowd could be on your back and all that sort of thing. I don't agree with that. Maybe the sound of defenders could be good because you know crowd could influence you a little bit. But apart from that, no, I I don't agree with open scoring. As you said earlier, though, and we have moved downstairs, so there's a little bit more background noise. But that was seamless, chaps. That was that was expertly done. You you would never (laughs) have known that we moved location. But you mentioned earlier judges are human, and judges will be criticised. Referees will be criticised too for favouring the the home corner, for favouring the home promoter. And that's something you have to constantly guard against. It's a bit, it's a bit like a, a referee. There's a reason why Manchester United don't concede many penalties at Old Trafford and get given a lot of penalties at Old Trafford. It's not because the referee uh, has been given a brown envelope or there's anything strange going on. It's just the conditions and the environment that you're in. It's, 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 it's hard. It's hard to maintain that, that kind of resilience and immunity to all other outside factors it is uh, but it's that's where your strength comes in um, that's why you make it up to star grade because them sort of things don't influence you you, you need to be able to I mean I've, I've had situations where I've done referees and gone against a, a, the home kid and I've had people spit at me and slash my car uh, things like that you know these things happen uh, I could have walked away from boxing many times, but you don't because I love the sport. Uh, and I like to go in the noise. Something that does annoy me is, like, you get in there and, and, and the, um, the matchmakers, you know, you get and the kid is overmatched and you're thinking, now, it's my responsibility now to look after this kid and stop the fight. Maybe the matchmakers need to look at more competitive fights because uh, you go to a show and maybe eight times out of ten, the, the home kid is, is the favourite for the fight, and, you know, and they're getting an opponent for a run out for him. Uh, but sometimes these opponents are like, you know, I've had ones getting there, they've had no, no, no protector on, they've had uh, no, 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 not proper trainers on and all that sort of thing. So that needs to be looked at a little bit, I think. You know, um, it's, you know, yeah, fine building up a kid's record, but, you know, like, let's make the fights competitive, you know, is what, is what I'd like to see. Well, one thing I've noticed is that the board here are much stricter on that than they are in Europe. I've covered quite a few cards in Europe and you'd see fighters with numerous stoppages out of their defeats who quite simply wouldn't get a licence here. It's impossible that some don't slip through the net sometimes. We, we had one a couple of weeks ago, Charles Frankham against Ilkvar's Krautkliss, a, a Latvian fighter, and he just 
threw himself on the floor as soon as one punch landed. Now, I don't even think it did land, did it? Well, it hit him on the shoulder and down he went. And, and Robert Smith was there that night, the, the secretary of the boxing board, and I saw him immediately just creep round ringside to the away corner. And I knew what was happening there. He was going to go and inquire. He was going to go and have a word and see what he thought had actually happened there. And as far as I know, I think some of the purse was withheld. But like I say, these things are always going to happen sometimes. You can't necessarily blame the matchmaker or, or, or anybody particularly. But as I say, it does happen more. It does happen more elsewhere. So what would you say is the most difficult situation you found yourself in for, for any particular reason? I, yeah, I, I had one. I mean, as, as, as a referee, when, when you get made up the star, your ambition is to do the heavyweight championship of the world. That's what you want to do. That is your Wembley. When you've done the heavyweight championship world, you can then retire. You've done it all. And I was given it, and I didn't want it. And that was Joseph Parker v. Uh, Fury, Uwe Fury, at Manchester. I was a judge for that fight, and Terry O'Connor was a referee. And Terry's a really good mate of mine. And the Parker corner complained that um, he, had, he had done a Fury fight before, and, and Fury lost, and they went away. So they were saying, uh, and they wanted him off the fight. And then next minute, I got to call Marcus, you're the referee. And I, I felt uncomfortable doing it because that was Terry's moment in the sun to do the heavyweight championship of the world. He, he, he was retiring next year. So I phoned Terry. I said, look, Terry, this has happened. Um, I don't feel right doing it, Terry. And he went, Marcus, do it, do it. I want you to do it. So I did do it. And um, I'd done, I done the fight. And, and the funny thing is, they took Terry off as a referee and made him a judge. <laughs> I don't understand it. And, understand it. and that, that I, didn't, I didn't feel comfortable doing that. I, I really did not feel comfortable. I, ph- I phoned Terry, as I said, and that felt... I want, really wanted to do it, but I didn't want to do it. But then when Terry said, Marcus, go ahead and do it, I'd done it. Well, some strange things can happen sometimes. And you're on social media, you're on Twitter, and I remember the first big fight I covered for Sky was Anthony Crawler against Derry Matthews, Oldham April 2012 and I was researching this fight from weeks out, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was obsessed with it, a big night for me and you were the referee and you put something on Twitter which seemed totally harmless, which was looking forward to this fight, Derry Matthews one of the good guys of boxing or something like that uh, and Joe Gallagher objected I think to the board and subsequently you were removed from that fight and do you get trainers I don't know how much you could talk about this and if you can't it's fine but do you get trainers and, and managers and people ringing up the wall and telling Robert Smith oh, I don't want Marcus McDonald I don't want Terry O'Connor I want someone else and I'm sure he doesn't listen but does that happen um, I, I, I don't know I imagine, I imagine they do they don't want this they, they don't want that uh, but, but that what you're talking about yeah um, I did I just put that uh, Derry is one of boxing's nice guys and next minute, Joe is saying, oh, he's, he's a Corella fan or whatever, blah, 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 blah. Oh, he's a Matthews fan, blah, 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 blah. And straight away, um, I phoned Robert, Robert made a mistake, blah, 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 and they pulled me, which was the right thing to do because you, you can't have it. So now on, on social media, I'm very, very careful what I do. Um, I don't respond to any abuse or whatever, you know, look and, and that sort of thing. But, that, but then Joe Gallagher again, he cost me a fight. He cost me the Quig Frampton fight. And what happened there was, um, I was a referee for that. Right up to the, to the last minute, I was a referee for that. And the last press conference they had, Joe Gallagher has gone to Barry McGuigan. Well, I'm surprised you're coming to Manchester for this fight, because last time you came, I mean, you got your ass kicked by, by Jim McDonnell, and our referee's Marcus McDonnell. Next minute, Barry's going up, oh my God. So I was removed from the fight because Joe sort of um, 
So these things happened, you know, it happened. It wasn't nice, I was removed from the fight, but these things happen. At the end of the day, you don't want any controversy. So if there's a problem and you're removed, just accept it and go on, you know. And um, I was taken off that fight, which, you know, I was unhappy with time. But I did pull Barry. I pulled Barry in a bar and I said, Barry, why did you... He goes, oh, sorry, I'm very superstitious. He said, and when Joe said that, like, no, I, I, you know, I didn't want anything to go wrong. And, you know, we're friends now. But, um, you know, I was very upset at the time. Uh, what would you say is the strangest thing that's happened? Stranger, one of the strangest, in 1989, I'd done a fight, and it was R.W. Smith v. Newton Burnett. It was at the uh, Latchmere Leisure Centre in Wandsworth. So I'm doing it. It was an eight-round fight, and uh, this, this kid, uh, Smith, was uh, winning the fight. Won seven rounds out of seven. A good little fighter he was. And uh, in the last round, there was a tangle, a sort of wrestle, and they both fell to the floor and got him up, and uh, Smith's shoulder had come out, and I took him out of the corner. He couldn't continue. So I've gone over. I went, what do you mean you can't continue? I said, you're pissing it. And his dad said, sorry, he's gonna, that's it, end the fight. So I had to stop the fight, and his dad got in the ring and said, that's the last time you'll see R.W. Smith in the ring. Bam. So I went away, thought, never going to see R.W. Smith again. You know, as you do, I do hundreds of fights, not going to ever see him again. Little did I know that R.W. Smith would turn out to be Robert Smith, the General Secretary of the Boxing Board of Control, who's now my boss, and he never lets me forget it. Never lets me forget it. I've just got this scenario in my head of you going for your... I know this didn't happen because you've told us what happened, but let, let, let's, let's not worry about that of you going for your interview at the, the Boxing Board of Control whenever it was and, and Robert somehow being on the panel and uh, you being asked about the scenario in which you stop a fight and being able to turn around and say, well, when one fighter's getting banjoed around the ring, as you well know, Robert, then of course you have to step in and stop it. This is not, incre- this is not increasing our chances of getting Robert Smith on the podcast. But Matt, Matt in your experience, you boxed all over the world, um, boxed in America a lot, and we talked about the individual commissions and the way the system is different over there. We do like to think, and I think it's accurate, that, that the officials are, are the best in, in, in Britain for all of the reasons we've gone through. Have you ever, in any of the fights you, you've been in yourself, ever had any kind of a problem uh, with one of the officials? And if you have, how have you, how have you resolved it? Uh, I never, ever objected uh, to officials. I didn't even look into it, really. I mean, I, I left that to... Manager, promoter, trainer, that's their area. I was just, you know, come to fight time by the time the officials are there. I was just so focused on the person I was fighting, I'm focused on my game plan, etc. That, I, yeah, I didn't even, I, wouldn't, I wasn't even aware who was refing or anything like that. Um, you know, in terms of, there's a couple of decisions in my career. I think um, Andrew Facey, uh, he got the decision over me, which I thought at the time I was convinced I was hard done by. Um, I know he's caught. I know Brendan Ingle, he's, he's trainer. They thought, or something, Dominic Ingle thought I won the fight. Uh, I think probably what might have happened, and we talked about being influenced by outside things or, or, or past experiences. I think the week before, a couple of weeks before, David Barnes, who was probably Frank Warren's other golden boy at the time, it was me and him, he, he was on the, the right end of a very debated decision against Jimmy Vincent. And I think that maybe Richie Davies, who was the ref, was probably influenced by that. And actually, in the close rounds, when the close fight, when it swayed against me instead of probably for me, or, or you know, not, not that they should have been swaying for me, but I think in the close rounds, I think Facey got them instead of where on another night, had that not happened a couple of weeks previous with Jimmy Vincent and David Barnes, he, he probably would have given it to me. So I felt I was uh, on the wrong end of a decision that time, and obviously. The, uh, the fight with Felix Sturmat in Germany, I felt very hard done by. I thought I was, I remember going out, I remember, I remember kind of going out for the 11th thinking, I've just got to stand on my feet here for these two rounds. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I thought I was that far ahead. I mean, looking back, it was a great fight. He, uh, 
and he certainly played his part and it wasn't an easy fight by any means or anything like that it was very competitive but I thought you know on the night you're in there you got a feeling I was convinced you know that I was I was ahead and I was convinced when the bell went that I'd won the fight but um no, but it, it, prior to a fight in terms of who's officiating or anything like that, personally, myself, I never I never got even involved with any of that stuff. I just left that to my team and, you know, I'm the fighter and I just stuck to the fighting, really. So in terms of having a, a boxing brother in gym, and you're right, it, it, it's weird how, how few people put that together. I didn't. I remember when, about six, seven years ago, I was first starting to go around gyms and another thing I did was, was I rang the board and said, I'd really like to speak to a, to a referee or judge and they... They gave me your number and said that you you do it, um, and I'd already arranged to go and see Jim. And it was only when I was talking to you that you you said, "Of course, Jim McDonald's my brother." And I thought, right. But what when you watch his fights when he was boxing, or when you watch his fighters, I don't know. Does he ask you sometimes to kind of second guess, not second guess, but but to give give him your scorecard if he's if he's wondered about about the official verdict? Not really. I mean, I've had a few situations where um, I've been in the ring at your call. I'm in there. I don't realise Jimmy's there. And all of a sudden, he's coming, he's coming down the ramp with a boxer. Oh, no. So straight away, I got to have a referee get in here and get out. I mean, I'd be Jimmy's worst nightmare because I'd be so strict. So, so not really. Jimmy doesn't really talk to me uh, uh, about scoring. He may ask me, oh, do you know who the referee is for a fight? And I say, I haven't got a clue, Jim. You know, whatever. Whoever you get, you, they'll be fair. So not really, no. I, mean, Cause I, cause I was going to say, because I'd imagine that there's a, there's a definite possibility if not probability that you're going to be that sort of focused on not being biased to Jimmy that you actually might be biased against his fight exactly exactly so I've, I've never never done it and there's been a few slip-ups where, where Robert's put me on a show not realizing that Jimmy with Jimmy was on there and then I've been taking I've been at the show and been taking off the card because because Jimmy is there you know which he, he's cost me a lot of big fights because he's been involved with like now he was no but he was involved with a lot of the heavyweights you know Danny Williams and all that sort of so I couldn't do any uh, heavyweight championship at the British championship for, for, for years and all I'd one time when Jimmy fought with Zuma Nelson and he got knocked out at the Royal Albert Hall um, a week later I was refereeing and I've got this thing when you've heard me when they get in the ring I say right come to the middle right. I spoke to you both in the dressing room you're not expect act like a professor at all times obey my instructions watch your head keep me any questions and they always go no and then I go let's go to work that's my, my, my saying this time blah blah blah, blah. any questions one of them went yeah went, what he went ask Jimmy <laughs> so I went, yeah he's fine <laughs> let's box on so in terms of the future you've got a you've got a few years left yet I think you've got a good few five. years left ahead of you what five. happens is uh, we retire as a referee at 65 uh, and then we can judge till 72 this is a, a rule that's been around we all know it uh, and everyone when you get there that you know I've seen I've seen past referees who are trying to oh you know by law you can work to 67 but there's got to be a cut-off point I mean it's not fair to say that I, I'm still fit at 65 and, and one of my colleagues is not. So we all realise what the cut-off point is, 65. I know that I will judge then until I'm 72. And hopefully, because of what I do, I'd like to think that I can give more back to the board when I do retire, that I can maybe go around and, and monitor referees or, or whatever and do a lot more than... A lot of them just retire and just disappear or they'll go off to another organisation and try and still referee. I won't. When I get 65, the board have been good to me over 31 years. I'll, I'll be there and I'll be uh, uh, an ambassador for them uh, in any, any way I can. Uh, and then I'll still be scoring until I'm 72. Um, I can referee all around the world still, uh, but I won't be allowed to referee in the UK, which I'm fully aware of. Uh, but what Robert doesn't know, I'm going to break into the Boxing Board of Control offices and nick my, my birth certificate and change it. <laughs> so in terms of 
younger referees and judges coming through. How 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 is that looking? Because to be honest, like the last few years, and, and I cover fights on of all kinds of levels, I haven't seen that many young refs. I've seen Reese Carter quite a bit, as you as you mentioned. Chris Jones is another one I've seen down in Wales. Kieran McCann, I see on the, the Southern area. Uh, a lot. Adam Harper, I know, the former fighter, uh, former English super welterweight champion, he's applied for his trialist licence, I think, but you always need new blood. We do, and as I said, um, we, we mon- every, every show I go to, I do a report on, ev- I do more reports than anybody, uh, c- because it's easy for me, I sit at a desk all day long, so I do reports, every time I'm a show, I do reports, send them in the board, and I do reports on all referees. Also, I talk to referees um, outside of the ring, I say, look, you didn't have a good performance. I'm, I want these people that I will say what I say, and if you don't like it, you don't like it. If you like it, great, we're going to have a drink afterwards. Uh, but I'm very honest with them. Um, as I said, I've done the buddy scheme where I took, took referees under my wing and, and try and help them, and I'll talk on their behalf at the, the, the referees' meetings and all that sort of thing. Uh, so we monitor every single referee. When you're ready, we'll send you outside your area and, and, and watch you outside your area. So if you're from the south, southern area, we'll send you to the central area, a big show at Manchester or whatever. And we do, you know, because you, you're so used to your, 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 your colleagues down in the south, your timekeepers and your inspectors. When we send you out here, it's a completely different ball game. So we do all that, and you know there are some good ones that are coming through, like Kieran. You said, Reese Carter. You've got Kevin Parker up up in the Midlands, another good one. You know that they do come through. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer than than um, we would hope. Uh, one thing I can't believe in this day and age um, is that we've never had a woman apply to be a referee. We've got loads of women fighting now. We've not got any referees. Um, there's a great woman referee I've seen in Germany. They have them in America. But we've never had one apply here, which I thought Jane Couch may have been the first when she sort of retired that may. And, you know, it will happen one day, and, and this person will be famous overnight, really, because, you know, we've never had it. And, you know, we do all the women's world title fights here. But I imagine it will happen one day, and uh, it'll be interesting times. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Um I, I mean, you said Jane Couch there, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was Jane. And just one final one. Has there ever been a, a situation that's occurred in the ring when you've been refereeing where you've looked at it and just thought, I really haven't got a clue about this. I've, I've never seen this before. What on earth do I do here? Um, we, we, we had one many years ago in Basildon where I was doing a fight live on Sky and the ring collapsed. So Mike Goodall and his, his boys got under the ring and had their feet underneath holding up the boards because the boards had come off the rafters and we had two rounds to go. So we're going and the ring's all wobbly and, and we're thinking, what's happening? Do we stop this? No, but we carried on and we got through it and then uh, there, was, there was a break and they, they repaired the ring properly. So yeah, so yeah, you just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I had a situation where um, I go into the boxes beforehand and talk to them. So I've gone in to see the Walsh brothers, Ryan Walsh. So I've gone, Ryan, I'm your referee tonight, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to call you Ryan throughout this fight. I'm going, Ryan this, Ryan that. If you do anything wrong, I'm going to call you Walsh. You know what you're doing wrong, tidy it up. Any questions? He went, yeah, I'm Liam. <laughs> <laughs> he let me go from a whole spill and, and, and then said that to me. That's pretty standard for those lot. They're, they're very good fun, those three. You always enjoy seeing they're, them. They're very funny. They are very funny. Well, I, I think that's enough. a good place. Oh, well, no, so good continue. Um, I, was, um, I was at work. As you see, I work in a big media company. And what we have here in the media company, we have a, a, a bar on a Friday night. It's drinks. So I take my staff for, for drinks on a Friday night. So I'm, I'm at the bar in my old place where I worked. And um, phone rings. And it's Robert Smith. I thought, what's he want? So 
He goes, no, Rob. He goes, Marcus, where are you? I said, well, I've just left work. I'm just taking my team for a drink. You don't have a drink, have you? I know, I'm just bought around. I'm just about that. Don't, don't drink that. Get yourself to your call. Richie Davis is at the golf. His wife's been taken ill. So I said, all right. I said, but I'm, I'm in jeans and a, and a jacket. And he goes, don't worry, just get here, just get here. So on the way, I bought a white shirt and I bought a little, it was a kiddies bow tie. But I got it, I got it. And Robert, oh, thanks, mate. You've really helped me out. You're going to be judging the British title fight. Oh, great. So I'd done the British title fight and judged it. And Art was Robert. Oh, great. You've really helped me out. Thanks, Marcus. By the way, I am going to send you a letter on Monday for being inappropriate dressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've got to keep that, that, that fine spot up somehow. Uh, Marcus, this has been great fun. Thanks very much. It's great, Les. Thanks for coming in. Cheers, it's great. Marcus. I'm glad uh, you know, that I gave you a little insight into being a referee. You certainly and, did. Um, like, so we, we are looking for, for referees. You know? we, we're still, if anyone's interested in becoming a referee, find me on, on, on Twitter or whatever. I'm more than happy to advise you and, 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 and tell you the right direction to go and who to send letters to, etc. You, know, you sit at home looking at, oh, I could do that. Then show us you can. You know, I bet there's some great referees there. They were never like me. I never thought I was going to be a referee. I mean, I was a footballer. And then, 31 years later, I'm doing it. I've been all over the world, and it's it's a great great life. Um, I work with you guys. We're like one big family. You know, okay, we get upset with each other now and again, but at the end of the day, we are one family, and and that's what it's all about. I mean, you know yourself, Andy. We'll do a big show, and then we all go back to the hotel artworks and all in the bar telling our stories, and, and it's a great life. So, if anyone's interested in becoming a referee, please contact me. Well, thanks to the Board of Control as well. Thanks, thanks to Robert Smith for, for giving us the green light to, to go ahead and do this. So I hope you enjoyed listening to it. And uh, there is a seat ready for you whenever you feel that you are ready to, uh, to come and have a chat with us yourself. But just before we go today, I just want to give a, a mention to uh, some colleagues of ours, the boys down at the British Boxing Talk podcast. They invited me on a few weeks ago. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The ship steered there by Darren Reese, uh, Pete Tyler and Gibbo, ably assisting him. It's a really good listen. And... Uh, Big thanks to Darren too because some of you may well have seen this. He put together a promo for us last week, totally unprompted. Uh, we didn't ask him to. He just did it uh, purely out of the, you know, the goodness of his heart, really. And it was great. It was brilliant. We absolutely loved it. So big shout out to those fellas. They're, they're real boxing fans. Get stuck into issues. Get some good guests on as well. Uh, and just really, really helpful. They've helped us in all sorts of ways since, since we started doing this in areas which we know absolutely nothing about, which is mainly the technical side of things. So thanks very much for listening. Um, Get onto iTunes and give us a rate and subscribe, and we will see you again soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.